we're going to carry on our our series, uh, which is entitled The Year of the Lord's Favour. And it's deliberately provocative. We're declaring this to be a year of the Lord's favour. And we've been looking at the fact that Jesus began his ministry with the words of the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And we've been looking at that. We keep coming back to that, keep mulling over it. That's in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 21. But then John the Baptist sends some of his followers in Luke chapter 7 and says, yeah, but are you sure? Yeah, but are you sure? The Spirit of the Lord is on me, but are you sure? Was I right or did I get it wrong? See, John, who Jesus called the greatest prophet of all, is having doubts. John, the forerunner of Jesus, who'd had a pretty miraculous birth himself with angels and Everything was stuck in a rut. John, who had announced Jesus as Messiah at his baptism, when he saw the Spirit descending upon him and and heaven opened and this voice isn't so sure anymore. John was having doubts. He'd got some questions for Jesus. He was having a crisis of faith. And I wonder if you know what that is like. I wonder if you've ever doubted or even have questions about what you really believe. And I want us to get us get some of our doubts out on the table this morning and look at how Jesus answered John here, stuck in Antipas's prison, assailed by thoughts he never imagined he would have. Let's get some of these things out on the table this morning. Well, let's just go back and say this is how it started because John was languishing in some dark hole of a dungeon where when he sent the message to Jesus via some uh, trusted friends in verse 20 of chapter 7 of Luke, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? Perhaps thinking that he'd got it wrong. And, And it might be surprising for you to find that John had so quickly come to doubt when his revelation had been so clear and so strong. But you know, when things go wrong in our lives, this kind of reaction can occur to us. This is what can happen in us. And there has certainly been some hard times for John since he'd made that great announcement at Jesus' birth, at Jesus' baptism. I mean, first of all, John's ministry had ended. I mean, the announcement that he'd made at Jesus' baptism had effectively effectively ended his ministry. His job was done. He'd finished the work that God had given him. The voice crying in the wilderness had fallen silent because the one he'd heralded had now arrived. And, and people even started to leave John, he'd, and he'd even encouraged them to go. Go, follow Jesus. He's the one. He's the Messiah that I came to tell you about. And in fairness to John, his response was generous in releasing them. He, he spoke words of acceptance. There was no biz, bitterness there. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. 
But I wonder if the words which have been so easy (laughs) to say were not so easy to live with. I mean, losing role and purpose in life isn't so easy to come to terms with. Try losing your job. Try watching your children leave home. Try handing over a project you've worked so hard to start. Finishing well, especially in ministry, I suppose, can always be a bit tricky for those that have had such key roles in things that mean so much to them. And so I think we can all sympathize with John in this. But I think there's something else that may be gnawing at John. And that is this question, was Jesus really the Messiah? What were those words Jesus quoted? The spirit of the Lord, good news for the poor, the oppressed free, the blind see. Ah yes, freedom for prisoners. (laughs) That's it. You can just see how John might have felt. He says, I'm stuck here in jail. I've been here for some time now. And Jesus, he's done nothing about it. He hasn't even come to visit. I mean, what kind of Messiah is he if he can't let a brother out of jail for doing nothing wrong? Or perhaps John had got it all wrong. There have been many other false prophets in Israel. What made him so sure that he wasn't one? What if he'd led thousands astray? Oh no, was he a false prophet now? And there have been false messiahs. What if Jesus was just another one of them? So so far, Jesus' ministry wasn't exactly what John had imagined the messiahs would look like. I mean, could this imprisonment be God's judgment? What a mess I'm in. You can just imagine how his thoughts must have gone and the doubts that must have assailed him in that place. Of course, I'm using some creative license with what I imagine may have been going through John's mind. But it's because they're the kind of things that go through our minds when we get locked up in bad circumstances. Where is God in this? Why won't he get me out of here? Perhaps I've got him all wrong. Does he even exist? And of course it wasn't because of Jesus that John was in prison. It was because of Herod Antipas and his affair with Herodias. John had told him just what he thought of him and his sin. And Herodias didn't like it. Antipas respected him and even feared him. But Herodias wanted him dead. But surely... Jesus could have done something about it. Freedom for the prisoners. Overthrow the government. Set up your kingdom. I mean, you could just see where his mind might have gone. Come on, be honest. (laughs) Haven't you been there? Got confused, disillusioned by your life. Some of the things that you've seen, some of the things that have happened to you. And you say things like, I don't think Christians are meant to get sick like this. Or I don't think we're meant to suffer like that. Or even if you didn't think that because you're so well taught, you didn't think it would happen to you. And you say, I never thought God would let me lose my job. I never thought I would be the one to lose my home or my family. And I certainly didn't think that would happen to them. And we start to doubt. And honestly, you know, If you've never had these thoughts and doubted, I'd suggest it's either because you haven't yet lived long enough (laughs) or because you've just been deluding yourself. John the Baptist 
may be alone in prison, but he's not alone in having doubts. I know. I've had them. I've spoken to many people over the years who've struggled with them. Sometimes we doubt and we need to own up to it. Does that bother you? Does it make you uncomfortable? Does it diminish your faith or are you able to be honest about your doubts? Because, you know, that's one of the things I really like about John. He was honest about his doubts. He may have had doubts, but at least he didn't pretend. He didn't just keep going and act like everything was fine and fake it and be a hypocrite just to keep up appearances for the sake of the kids or so as not to lose face, to appear to have it all together, whereas in fact things were not right at all on the inside. See, Jesus is okay with doubt. He's not intimidated by it. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that many of his disciples expressed doubt along the way. They certainly had questions, but this never stopped him from sending them out or using them in ministry. And we all know about Thomas, don't we? But what about this? After the resurrection, there's this incredible line at the end of Matthew, just before the Great Commission announcement, which says... But when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Even then, even at that point, they've just seen the resurrected Christ, physically seen him, and some of them still doubted. It doesn't say who they are, but there were some there who were eyewitnesses of his majesty who doubted, and this didn't disqualify them. Didn't disqualify them. See, Jesus is not afraid of our doubts, but he hates, or maybe that's not the right word, is that too strong? Perhaps I should say he will not tolerate hypocrisy. Don't do it. Don't mask up. Don't fake it. Because honesty is more important to Jesus than doubt. Do you know, it takes courage to face our doubts. It only takes pride to cover them up, which is what hypocrisy is all about. So be honest about where you are in your faith and tell it to God. You know, if John the Baptist can have doubts, I don't think any of us should be ashamed of the questions that we might have. Actually, do you know, I'm sometimes more concerned about those that don't have any questions. Because I found that questions have often drawn me to pursue God even more for the answer than pretending everything is all right. Of course, sometimes we're not even aware of our doubts or else we dare not even ask the question in case it raises doubts. And we're afraid of doubt. We're afraid of where that doubting might lead us. I had a moment with this a few years ago where I realized that I'd been burying my head in the sand over the issue of the existence of God. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty fundamental, isn't it? Does God really exist and can I prove it? Had apparently been murmuring away there in the back room of my faith. I kept it out of the front room 
because I put it in a drawer marked blind faith needed and left it there. Then I read a book uh, called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. It's a thick book of apologetic style writing and uh, I read it three in three weeks over my summer holiday. It's fantastic. I really recommend it to you. But what really amazed me were the early chapters which contained pages of evidence for God's existence. I can't do it justice here. I'm not going to try to. But it blew me away. And this question no longer sits in the drawer. And it's really strengthened my faith in a way that I didn't even realize that I needed. I wonder, do you need to get some questions out of the drawer? Read a book or two like that and stop fearing your doubts so that you can work on strengthening your faith. Look, Jesus is not worried about our doubts. And he welcomes and embraces people with them, just as he did with John's disciples on that day. Let me just turn you to the passage now. We finally get to it in in Luke chapter 7, and see how Jesus deals with John's doubts. So chapter 7, verses 18 to 23. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And when The men came to Jesus. They said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. So just three things I want to show you from this passage. And the first one is that John came to Jesus with his doubts. I mean, he's a good person to come to, isn't he? I mean, why didn't I think of that, you say? But get this, even with his doubts, there was something about Jesus John knew he could still trust. Jesus would tell him the truth. He just needed to hear from him again. So he sent two of his closest disciples to ask the question, are you, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? Truth is, our doubts are not normally about Jesus. I know. I've asked many people, even unbelievers, this question. No, it's not Jesus. It's life. It's the world. It's suffering. It's the church. It's when things go wrong, when people get hurt or get sick. It's in these moments of disillusionment and discouragement when we fully entertain our doubts. But at the same time, it's also the time when we're least likely to come to Jesus. Especially if we've bought into the lie that says Jesus will condemn us or think less of us for our doubts. I remember a time 
10 or more years ago in the church here where I found myself in a position that I was so hurt, so beaten up, so unsure of everything, I began to doubt. There was a lot I doubted about God, about the calling he'd given me, even though it'd been so clear for, I'd been so clear for so long about it, but then everything seemed to fall away and I no longer knew what to believe except for one thing. One thing that I really clung to at this time, and that, and it's that Jesus loved me. <laughs> that's the one thing I knew, and that's what I clung to, that he loved me and that I loved him. And I really didn't know much else at that point, just that he loved me. I found the same thing with others who go through particularly difficult times. Our dear friends, Kevin and Margaret, who lost both of their daughters several years apart to cancer. And I asked him one day, I said, what's kept you? How have you not lost your faith? I mean, if anybody's going to lose their faith over something, you'd lose it over that. He said, I just simply can't stop loving Jesus. He says, that's all that I know. See, Jesus didn't turn away John's disciples. He doesn't express shock or disappointment at John. Actually, after they've left, he goes on to boast about him to the crowd. Jesus understood the suffering he was going through in that horrible, dark prison of despair. And so rather than reject him, he extends an invitation. He says, come and see. Jesus says, come and watch all that I do and go back and tell John. So that's the second thing. Come and see. Which doesn't exactly answer the question, does it? Come and see for yourself. Jesus invites John's disciples to watch as he healed other people and set them free. For a whole day, apparently, John's disciples saw everybody other than John receive their miracle. Miracle after miracle. And then as evening comes, Jesus turns to them and says, Now go back and tell John all you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have had the gospel to preach to them, but no mention of John's predicament. No mention of freedom for the prisoners at this time. But it still answers John's question. The question maybe he didn't, or we didn't anticipate, and that is, John, you got it right. <laughs> your message and your ministry was not in vain. The blind see, the deaf hear, all in fulfillment of the messianic prophecies you know so well. John, you were not deceived. You did your job. And the thing is with doubt is you may not get all your questions answered, but you can live in the good of what you do know, the revelation that you do have. You might not know what's going to happen to you, but you can celebrate another person's miracle whilst you wait for your own. The question doubt raises is, can you enjoy another success whilst you remain hidden? Can you rejoice when someone else is healed and not get bitter when you're still sick? And of course, sometimes the reasons we don't get answers is because we don't ask the right questions. 
you know, my creative version, I assumed that John wanted to know about freedom for the prisoners. But Jesus answered a completely different question, which is, John, your life and your message was not in vain. You got it right, so be at peace. So can you live with unanswered questions and not destroy your faith? Can you live with doubt for now and not fall into disappointment? And Jesus seems to make this point to John in his final words to him, which he spoke in the form of a blessing, which I think really needs to be added to the Beatitudes. This this blessing here, it says, blessed is anyone who doesn't fall away on account of me. That's verse 22. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble because of me. Blessed is anyone who isn't offended because of me. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus here reveals the root of doubt, offense. I'm offended, and so I withdraw. I will nurse my pain in a smokescreen I call doubt, but actually I'm offended. Offense. It robs us of the blessing. Have you been offended? Have you been offended and is that what you're experiencing in your doubt? Remember the words that Jesus spoke to Thomas when he finally deigns to believe in that in that macabre exchange where he puts his finger in Jesus' wounds and his hand in his side and Jesus says, great, now you've believed, but blessed are those who've not seen and have yet believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. That's John 20, 29. And you know, friends, there's blessing for those of us who carry our questions but refuse to fall into offense and disappointment. There is blessing for those who live for Jesus and don't see. <laughs> those who live for Jesus and don't see the answer Don't get the miracle. Don't get the explanation. But you still follow him anyway and pay the cost out of love, out of love for Jesus and out of his love for you. There's blessing for you. Do you know in this life, even the greatest, strongest believers experience dark times? You know, not one of us will live completely pain-free or fail at some point to endure satanic opposition. Most of us at some time will suffer agonizing difficulty. Most of us will experience seasons where we feel like we've been abandoned and then we'll all have to face death one day and none of us want to do that either. Look, you need to know this. Jesus never rejects us because of doubt. He always hears us when we cry out. He doesn't condemn us. And he's already dealt with the sin that's exposed in our doubt and pain anyway. So you don't need to be afraid about being honest to him and with one another. Even to express your pain and disappointment. He won't be shocked. He knows about it already anyway. And we shouldn't be shocked either. I've had many of those shout to the Lord moments over the years. I don't always get there straight away, uh, but whenever I do, I always find his response is something like, finally, finally, at least you're being honest with me. 
You know, the reality is that he doesn't always answer our questions, certainly not with the speed and the clarity that we want. And when he does answer them, it's not always the question we thought we needed answering or the miracle we hoped for and prayed for. But there is always blessing in choosing to trust him anyway and not give in to offense and disappointment. Have you got questions? Good. It means that you're doing something. (laughs) You're thinking, you're growing, and you want to understand. Good. I'm glad you've got questions. Have you got doubts? That's okay. Just don't withdraw. Don't withdraw from Jesus. Bring your doubts to him. Who knows? Perhaps he might have some answers for you in some of them. But in the meantime, Look at what God is doing all around the world. Look what he's doing in the lives of other people and celebrate with them. John was still in his prison at the end of his questions. Ultimately, he died for his faith as a true forerunner of Jesus. Of course, he'd have to die. But John, you got it right. Your life and your ministry was not in vain. Let that be enough for you so here is your come to jesus moment church bring him your questions and doubts ask him to strengthen your faith just say to him, jesus i need to hear from you again that's kind of what john was saying jesus i'm stuck here in this hole i just need to hear from you again what have you got right what is it that you know Can you live, can you stand to live in the tension uh, of those things that you doubt and the things about which you are uncertain, the things about which you are certain and still keep your eyes on Jesus? That's the challenge for us in this message. I just want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit will give you grace for waiting. Grace for living in uncertainty. Grace for living with unanswered questions. That you'll know his presence anyway. So Father, we know that you know the end from the beginning and we don't. We know something. Father, I pray that you would magnify by your Holy Spirit that which we do know. And give us grace for what we don't yet know. Give us grace for the waiting. Father, I want to pray for various ones who are tuning in right now. I just pray your Holy Spirit come on each one. I speak peace to you. I speak peace to you in your prison, in your dark place, in your uncertainty. And Father, I pray that your light would shine for those things that light has already shone on. Father, those areas of uncertainty, I pray peace in them. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, come. Come into these different situations, I pray, and bring peace. Grace for the waiting. Thank you, Father. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes trusting God just means I'm waiting. Trusting God just means I'm waiting. Thank you, Lord. We look to you. Amen.